We have such a great worship team. I've really been blessed to see how they have stepped up during this season, uh, both Justin and Nathaniel, and then those that support them, all of the musicians and instrumentalists, and Rocky and Josh who handle our media and our sound. Just very grateful for them. Um, so let me ask you this. Tell me what you see when you look at a picture like this. They're going to put it up on the screen. You, you, you've seen these things before, right? They're called magic eye pictures, stereograms. Uh, a two-dimensional picture that, depending on how you look at them, can create a three-dimensional image. Uh, you've probably stood with a group of people uh, staring at a picture like this. I know that I have. You know, you're staring at it. You're trying to see what's behind or what's in the middle. You're crossing your eyes. You're, you're trying to relax them so that you can see that hidden image. I bet some of you are doing it right now. Your, your nose is probably up against your computer screen. And, and just to make it fun, look, I made my shirt have the same effect. Can you see the picture in that? It's, well, it's just a bunch of fruit. But I, if you look at that closely, that screen, that picture that's on your screen, you're going to see something different. Um, the conversation when you're looking at these things kind of goes like this. Do you see it? No. No, I don't, I don't see it. All I see is a bunch of colors and, and maybe a few handprints. No, there's really, there's this, there's this third dimensional image. It's, it's big. Look behind the surface. Focus. Relax. Ah, I don't, I don't see it. Oh, 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 wait, wait, there it is. Wow, it, it pops right out at me like 3D. It's really a third dimensional image in that picture. It's a big hand. And I, I actually saw it once. I mean, my trifocals make it hard for me to really focus on it. And my eyes water a whole lot. But it's fascinating to me that you can look at something for a long time and still not see what's really there. You see only one dimension of something, unaware of the more profound, deepening, even hidden aspect of what you're looking at. This morning, we're starting our summer series, and it, it comes from a book of the Bible that is just as puzzling as the magic eye poster. <laughs> it's the book of Revelation. That's right. I know, I'm crazy, right? I, I don't know what I'm thinking. Teaching out of Revelation is not my normal go-to move. And come to think of it, I'm in pretty good company. Of the 27 books in the New Testament, the tremendous theologian and father of the faith, John Calvin, he wrote a commentary on 26 of those 27 books. You know which one he left out? That's right the revelation. But John Calvin, ah, I got this. No worries, right? Well, actually, I'm not sure I do. But here's what I would like for us to do over these coming months here in summer, is I'd like for us to explore the first three chapters of Revelation. I'm going to leave the exegesis of all those other 19 chapters for another time. Maybe. <laughs> But these first three chapters include messages from Jesus to seven Asian churches of that day, which I believe those messages need to be heard by the church of our day. In fact, I'm largely believing that God is doing something in the church. And like I mentioned last week, it is 
a stripping down. It's a ripping away things out of our hands that we can put our hand to his plow. It is a focusing on him. And as Peter said, it is time that judgment begins at the household of faith. And so I believe these messages are pertinent for the church today, especially the church in America. But before we do all of that, and before we get into those messages that is spoken to these seven churches, I thought it would be good this morning to just touch on some of the hotly debated issues surrounding this book. I mean, what could go wrong, right? Uh, uh, Revelation, it, it's kind of crazy the way people view this book. Because if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that this book has inspired a great deal of discussion and specific interpretation, even misguided theology. We hardly begin reading before our eyes, they get fixed on, a, on preconceived ideas where we're, we're tempted to try to explain every detail while missing the deeper, more profound meaning. Seriously, uh, most people can't get past the first two words without tripping over themselves. In my Bible, those first two words are the revelation. The revelation, specifically the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that word revelation is the Greek word that we get apocalypse from, which we know apocalypse, that word, it's fraught with all sorts of danger. I mean, it conjures up lots of debate, doesn't it? Speculation. We, we, We use it to describe disaster and wars and Rumors of wars and earthquakes and pestilence and famine and all that end of the world kind of stuff, don't we? And honestly, with COVID-19 and, and all that is happening in our city and nation, the hatred, the division, the unrest, the things that are striking at people's emotions at the deepest level, a lot of people might be asking if this is the apocalypse. I've heard people ask. But this word apocalypse, it doesn't really mean the ending. It doesn't really mean end times in itself. It means the unveiling. It means something that has been hidden is now being revealed. Like watching a photograph being developed in a dark room. You know, where it changes from what was invisible to now you can see what the picture was taken. It's now visible. Or it's like peering in the magic eye picture, my fruit-covered shirt. You're picturing that magic eye picture and you're looking and gradually your eyes focus on what's really there. And, And it becomes eventually so vivid you wonder how you missed it in the first place. Apocalypse is an unveiling. It's an uncovering. It's a revealing. And while people have tried to make it all about predicting future events, it's really much more about proclaiming Jesus as king, that he is conqueror. And while there are things that will take place and they're shared with us, those events come out of his unveiling, not the other way around. He is currently ruling. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, ruling and reigning 
until all of his enemies are made his footstool. And I heard Ern Baxter say, when it says until, he means until. He is sitting, ruling, and reigning until all of his enemies are made his footstool. And that process is undergoing. So I think our biggest issue when we read this book, Revelation, is that we often do it with our minds and our intellect rather than our hearts and our imagination. And when we do it that way, when we, as Brian Emmett said, children of the Enlightenment, try to understand it intellectually, then we're going to miss the real image that's trying to come through for us. And when we do that, we make numerous mistakes. For example, one mistake we make, we use it to set dates for Christ's return, despite the fact he told us not to. A lot of Christians do this. And yet Jesus said, it is not for us to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. And that word that he spoke to the first disciples there before he ascended to his Father, it hasn't changed. And yet we have Christians and leaders all the time trying to set charts and dates and predictions, and that's not what we're supposed to be giving ourselves to. It seems like every war or famine or horrendous event in history gives some teacher another reason to publish a book with a new prediction. I want to say, stop it. Just stop. That's not the focus, and that's a mistake when that becomes our priority. There's a second mistake we make. It's when we become so preoccupied with the interpretation of the book that we avoid responsibility to love God and love our neighbor as ourself. You see, that's the great commandment. Jesus gave it to us. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So when we avoid doing that so that we can figure out the interpretation, We've got our priorities wrong. Or when we avoid the Great Commission, where we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. When we avoid the Great Commandment and the Great Commission in order that we can define and interpret what Revelation is saying, we have our priorities wrong. There's a third mistake we make. We oftentimes see it as some sort of... um, cryptic message that requires a decoder ring to figure it all out. And, and, and those that get to decode it, they're just the privileged few. I mean, after all, this term eschatology, which is the study of death, judgment, and the final destiny of humanity, that's a, that's a scary word. That's, those, are, those are big things. But the message of Revelation is better understood as this unveiling of Jesus and his kingdom, not necessarily the explanation of end times. And when we make the end times explanation the priority, rather than the unveiling and revealing of him, again, we have our priorities in the wrong place. The unveiling of Jesus is tied to the message of creation and the fall and redemption and then resurrection and then ultimately ascension of Jesus and ultimately his return. And his enthronement as king over all creation, that's what this unveiling is all about. 
There's a fourth mistake that I see that a lot of times people make. They, they, they let our divergent views on these issues and these verses, they let those views divide us, divide us as the church. Now, historically, Christians have been bitterly divided over the themes in this book. I, I, I even, I, I'm concerned about even bringing many of them up just because it can be so divisive. But we've heard them before, right? I mean, like the millennium, the thousand year reign of Jesus, that, that has been dissected and tried to be explained and it has caused and forced people into typically one of three camps. You're either a premillennialist or a amillennialist or a postmillennialist. And, and all that means is when this thousand year reign occurs in history, and then they get all mixed up in how the tribulation relates to that. Is it before the millennium? Is it after the millennium? Is it something that's vague and beyond the millennium? I mean, the truth is, is that I feel like I'm what Bob Mumford called a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. And I just can't get all bothered about explaining it when what I need to be focused on is the unveiling, the revelation, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, our King. But Christians, we, we divide ourselves up in the way we interpret this whole letter. And Beyond the explanations of the millennialist, we, I mean, millennium, we, we talk about how we view the letter as a whole. Like you have these people called a preterist where that basically means this prophecy happened in the past, that it was, it was fulfilled at the fall of Jerusalem or the fall of the Roman Empire. Or you have futurists that look and see this prophecy as something in the future that happens right before Jesus returns. You also have historicists who see that the good portion of, of Revelation is really like a, an outline of church history. And it goes from the first century all the way to the second coming. And then you have others called idealists who think the scenes of Revelation are not really about specific events, but they just depict a cyclical occurrence of spiritual war. Depending on who you talk to, in whatever denomination or church tradition you might go to or visit, you'll find one of these four views operating deep down if you ask them about eschatology. But I feel like we've made these views and the division that they create a fruitless endeavor. And I feel like that it has busied us with doing things that he hasn't called us to do. Just like politics, I, I like to keep my personal views about these things more of a mystery. Keep you guessing. Um, but I'll say this. I've come to believe that maybe the most accurate way of seeing all of this is not an exclusive alignment with one of those views, but maybe a combination of all four. It's why theologian Vern Poitras writes, the imagery in Revelation is multifaceted and is in principle capable of multiple embodiments. So in this sermon series, 
while we're not necessarily going to get into the, all the imagery and the numerology and the colors and creatures, you know, with crowns and trumpets and bowls and horsemen, let's keep in mind the big picture and keep it in mind any time we read the Revelation and read it with our hearts, not with our heads. Mind, let's read from Revelation 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now listen, right off the bat, we see instruction on how we're supposed to handle this revelation, the unveiling of Jesus. We're told we should read it. In fact, he says we're blessed when we read it. And not just the fantastical parts, all of it. Read it aloud. And instead of dissecting and interpreting every last detail to the point that we can chart it out on what we think it means, let the words of this prophecy, which really is more about the proclamation of him as king than it is the, the prediction of what's going to happen, read that prophecy and listen to it with your heart and let it be heard and let its words be kept. I, I like what Brian Emmett said about this. He said, reading Revelation is a cleansing, medicinal antidote to all of that bad biblical exegesis and the unfaithful living that results from it. And let me just say to you, when you have bad theology and unfaithful living that's a result of it, the best thing you can do is to cleanse yourself with the reading of God's word. Let his word speak to you. I encourage you as a believer to sit down and read this book. Read it through in one sitting. And you don't have to understand every image or remember every detail. Just read it as a letter it was meant to be to those seven churches. And as a letter that has much to say to us today. Started. Let's... Let's just go ahead and finish reading this chapter one and, and listen to it. Because the Bible says we're blessed when we hear these words and when it's read. So let's get in on that blessing. Let's read, starting in verse four. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father. And to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. I will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Wouldn't it be great if that is said of us, that on the Lord's day we're in the Spirit. And he continues, And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last And the living one, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Man. When I read that chapter, when I, when I read the whole book, the whole letter, there is so much I'm tempted to say to try to explain to you what it's saying. But that's not what we're supposed to do. We just need to let it say what it says. We need to hear its words and let it have its effect on us. We need to hear it through our hearts, not through our heads. We need to let it breathe. Let it speak to our hearts. Let his voice that sounds like a trumpet, like the roar of many waters, let it be heard in our ears. And we need to be touched by that sharp, two-edged blade coming from his mouth, the word of God. And we need to peer into these words as we read this. And we need to relax our straining eyes to see beyond our dim perspective. We need to see the one that's standing in the midst of the lampstands. We may have not seen him in the beginning. We may have been distracted by all the other details, all the bright lights, all the colors we're looking at, all the different interpretations, but we need to see him standing in our midst. One like the Son of Man, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash whose hair is brilliantly white 
and whose eyes are like fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. And when we see him as the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the one who was and who is and who is to come, we will see him as the Almighty, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of all nations, of all kings, who loves us and who freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. He made us priest to his father, our God. As you peer into this book, this magic eye picture of words written to seven churches in Asia, look beyond the obvious. Look beyond all the little distractions and sparklers. Look at Jesus. Fix your eyes, as Sharon and Tim shared with us this morning, on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Let King Jesus come into focus and grab your attention. And as you do, you will begin to see that this book, the revelation of Jesus Christ, is less about the end of the world and more about the beginning of a new one. For as we continue to look at this picture, we're going to see what's truly important coming into focus. It's later declared in Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. My prayer for us as we peer into this picture this book of Revelation is that we won't be distracted by all the details and interpretations, but we will see a vivid picture, a revealing, an unveiling of Jesus Christ, the reigning King, coming to our full focus. Amen. I'm going to ask my wife to come and we're going to pray for you. We've been doing this now since we've been having our live stream, and it's been a wonderful time. And we just want to bless you and encourage you. And so um, what do you have to share with us? As Chris was speaking today, um, I just had so much going off in my heart and in my mind. But I looked up a passage from Andrew Murray's book, Um, with Christ in the school of obedience. And he says, revelation is required for obedience. His revelation expands our minds and our obedience expands our lives. Hmm. And I'm so aware that when God is speaking to us, it, yes, it's about us agreeing with him, about coming up against that plumb line, about about saying yes, but our saying yes isn't just for the word to be applied to us and to bring redemption. It is always 
bigger than that. It's always about the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted to read this one little bit uh, from Andrew Murray's uh, book. He says that entrance into this life, this life of the kingdom, demands absolute obedience and surrender of the whole being. And if these things are indeed true and we agree with them, we need the Holy Spirit to give us such a vision of God's glory and divine power and the demand that that makes on our lives so that our only response will be immediate and unconditional submission to Mm. his will. And he basically goes on to say that obedience is only possible if we have received a true vision of who God is. And I think that this word about revelation, um, about the revelation of himself and the letters that Chris is going to go through with us over these next few weeks, God is speaking Mm -hmm. and he does require us to be obedient to what we hear and what we see but the power to obey is in the vision of him. Yes. Um, so I'm going to pray for us that the eyes of our hearts will be opened, as Tim and Yoder said, uh, Tim and Sharon said earlier. Yes. Father, thank you that you did reveal yourself in your Son. You revealed yourself in creation, and you are still revealing yourself. Mm-hmm. We can see with the eyes of the Spirit. We've been given the mind of Christ. We can know the hidden things that you choose to reveal to us, and not in an intellectual way, Hmm. um, but in an impartation kind of way, Hmm. in a way that transforms us and makes us fit for the Master's use. Hmm. And Father, we, we long to be useful in the kingdom. We long to see you as king, not only in our own lives, but in the people that we touch. We don't always see that you're working or even feel that you're working, but you are. Mm -hmm. And this is an opportunity for us to look deeply into the face of Christ, to receive revelation that changes us, that moves us, that forms us differently than we currently are Hmm. so that we can be about your business, so that we can be on mission, so that we can see the kingdom advancing and the king reigning on the throne. Father, I ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts, Hmm. that you would put the salve that you mention in Revelation chapter 3, that you would put that salve on our eyes Hmm. So that we can see you as you are. That we can see you high and lifted up. And that our one response to that vision will be obedience. Mm -hmm. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for the faith to believe that we can hear you and we can obey you. And thank you for the power that comes in your voice to accomplish these things. Yes, Lord. Lord, we pray for every person who has obstacles that need your revelation, who has difficulties in life, struggles in health, with work, finances, vision, depression, any type of oppressive thing that has become bigger than you, 
I pray that the unveiling of King Jesus mm-hmm. would change that circumstance. Yes, Lord. Change it in the way they see things. Change it in the way they experience it. And change it in the way they walk in obedience to you, following you. I pray, Father, that we would hear what you are speaking to the church today. And in these letters that you wrote to the, the churches in Asia, I pray that those words would come alive yes, to us God. and that the real. sharp, double-edged sword that is in your mouth would pierce yes. us, O oh God, yes. and cause repentance to occur mm. in our lives, in the church at large. Forgive us, O oh God, where we have not been true to your word and not followed you in obedience. Lord, let us be true to your word and not have things that you have against us. I pray, Father, that you will help us in this day, in these days, to turn back to you and see the power of God demonstrated, the revelation of Jesus Christ, our King, in our midst. We pray these things and for our people and for all those who are watching today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you. Yes, we do. Bless you.